From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Chrissy Juno Mann is a UK-based embroidery practitioner and teacher who came third in the Mr. X Stitch Contemporary Embroidery Prize Hand Embroidery category with a fantastic blackwork portrait called Ayana. I've never met Chrissy before and our conversation starts out with her discussing how she runs three-hour online classes. And at first, as you'll hear, I ask her, you know, what does she fill the time with? But before long, it became abundantly clear that Chrissy not only is a world-class embroiderer, but she's also an exemplary raconteur. We have so much fun. Some of the stuff that she talks about, the life that she's had, her philosophy towards needlework, it's just fantastic. I enjoyed talking with Chrissy so much, I could have talked to her for another three hours. And I really would encourage you to go and visit Cloud Juno, her website, to see her work. Chrissy trained at the Royal School of Needlework in the Future Tutor program and has fantastic skills. And what's great is that if you're interested, you can sign up to her newsletter and learn from her yourself. So I would completely encourage you to do that. Thanks for being part of this Needle Exchange episode. The second part of Chrissy's interview will come along next week. And thank you for the lovely feedback we've been getting on our social media. It's great to hear that you're enjoying the show and uh, that my new normal format is appealing to you. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy this. Chrissy's great. I think you're going to enjoy this one a lot. So uh, dive on in and I'll be back next week with the second part. Hello, 
do chat on Zoom. I do five-hour sessions on Zoom. Five-hour sessions. <laughs> Who'd have thought I can talk for five hours? So That's I like the sort of thing that they do on um, home shopping channels, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really watch them, but uh, yeah, they do. I mean, it's just a day class on Zoom, isn't it? That's what I do, you know. So, um, and, you know, you think at the beginning, with, I mean, God, I didn't even know Zoom existed before COVID. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, you know, oh my God, five hours. But then it turns out, yeah, I'm, I'm quite good because sometimes you get a, you know, a tough crowd. <laughs> sometimes the audience is, yeah. you know, and sometimes a little bit more challenging to get them draw them in I mean, i'm quite good at that but um you know when it is a, a i mean tell prep. me about that because obviously i've done like i've done workshops and stuff in the past and it's for me a cross stitch workshop is you know the the learning curve for cross stitch on average about seven minutes it's not exactly the most technical one but i mean what kind of workshops are you doing how do you structure them and then yeah what what do you talk about for like five hours well, I mean, I suppose I do a day class, which can be, you know, a kit, a small kit. So realistically, I think about six stitches is sort of the going. You can maybe squeeze an eight if it's like a little French knot or something. But, you know, about six stitches. So you get three in the morning, three in the afternoon. And because you've got a visualizer, which are just sort of game changing, the visualizers just allow you to get up so close and project it back onto the screen and you know and also people can send in images and i can project them back onto the screen so you can get a real close-up look at what people are doing so those are the classes really just doing a general just like going to a workshop in person but it's from the comfort of your own home um but then you know is you know just anything really i mean you know you know i might look at you and go oh what's that picture behind you you know i love that what is it oh, what's the wall the shape you know and so you know i force people to get drawn in and i sort of go around and ask them things it's almost like you're the sort of compare of a show in some ways isn't it? i know I, it's the same thing i know what you mean because there comes a point when the tuition ends and it's just the practice, isn't it? And I guess here it's just what a set period of time where people are learning the one stitch you've taught them to really bed it in. But yeah. then you do, you know, like I'm trying to think what the, oh, it'd be like Scylla Black almost, you know, like what's your name, where'd you come from? You know, almost have to switch into that kind of mode, don't you? Just being a bit like... That intro does always happen and you have to sort of, and sometimes people want to go off on one and you have to try and narrow it down because we really need to start the day. But then, you know, once everyone's involved and also you get a lot of repeat customers. I mean, I do. I'm really fortunate like that. And so people go, oh, I recognize you from another class. And so you do get interaction between, you know, I think some people think that it's just, I mean, I have been, I went on a, somebody else's Zoom class, not embroidery, it was belting, um, just to see, and it was so, so quiet, nobody talked, the tutor didn't interact, it was kind of boring. So, yeah, I'm definitely not like that. It's more than a compare, it's more like a ringmaster of a circus. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's almost like being a DJ as well, isn't it? You have a responsibility to maintain the mood of the space. Yeah. I always thought, and I always like when I would do workshops, I'd want to have music on for that very reason as well, to just channel the right kind of vibes into it. Yeah, well, I, I guess, you know, they just wouldn't hear the music over my chatting, to be honest. True. I did have one woman, I, 
quite funny. I mean, you, you always get really, you know, um, nice people generally. I've always had nice people. But there was one point when I was doing a, it was a Jane Austen workshop, actually, and it was like a little button. And at the end of the day, I sort of go, well, how did it go? You know, did, let's have a look at what you've done. And she, she wasn't a well woman. And she basically just looked at the screen and went, I've managed to make a cow pat with a pearl on it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, that is the quote of the day. You know? <laughs> anyway, you That's go from that. Really. But everyone else is just like, ah. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it was just funny. Yeah, so, Do you yeah. have, uh, like, can you think of, like, the top three questions that you always get asked? Um, not really. I mean, gosh. I, the one that I can tell you is the thing I don't miss from doing workshops is I don't get asked to thread people's needles anymore. When I'm in person in a workshop, I literally have to have my pedometer on for the time I go around and around the table threading people's needles. <laughs> so at least now I can sit there and go, oh, fortunately I can't help you with that. <laughs> I remember once doing a cross-stitch workshop for like eight, nine and ten-year-olds and literally that was all I was doing the whole time, just threading, 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 threading. Yeah. There'd be two kids that got it and went off with it and the rest of them, they'd just be holding back the tears. Yeah, I know. I know. It's practice gets perfect. But I suppose that is the number one. How do you thread the needle, you know, and I try and show them, you know, little tricks to try and get it through. But um, otherwise, it really depends on the project because my projects vary quite a lot, I think. You know, I might do gold work or I might do, um, I do designing for black work or Jacobean or I might just do a little Jacobean kit. So I do quite a few different techniques. So, you know, there's a bit of variety, which is good. Mm. Right. So let's start at the beginning then, because, well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you on uh, the third place in the hand embroidery, the Mr. Exit Hand Embroidery Prize with a stunning black work piece. I was so pleased. Do you know why I was pleased is I remember it must have been like maybe 15 years ago now I went to the NEC I was fairly early in Mr. Stitch zone or whatever and I saw on the RSN stand I saw a portrait of a horse that had been done in black work oh, yeah. and it was the first time that I'd seen that black work could create that sense of surface and depth and texture you know just through the variety of the stitches and ever since then I've always been a fan of black work but in some ways I've also then been a a little bit critical, if you like, because I see a lot of people doing black work, but then never feels like they're unleashing it properly. And then when you produced, you know, that piece that you entered, it was just like, here we go. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's sort of a little bit surface and they need to get a little bit more depth into it, don't they? I think that's to do with mm. um, tonal shading, the tonal values across the piece, really. Um I think people sort of struggle to choose the right image sometimes to start with. I'm not a believer that all images work for um, everything. And, you know, and mm. I think also it's about getting that, you know, getting that depth. I wanted to try and, I mean, sometimes a piece takes on a life of its own and it just reveals itself. And in some ways, you know, that was, you know, with this particular piece. But at the same time, there are processes that you can do. And, and that's what I try and, teach my students so I sort of developed a sort of technique that I call tonal mapping and I did use it for um, this where you know there are so many sort of shades really of black you know tones going across that I needed to be 
you know, it ends up with being a little bit like stitching by numbers where you kind of have a, a complex map that you can then follow with the stitching. Um, but it is a fairly easy process to, to put together. You sort of build it up in layers. Um, so that's how I sort of manage that really. But, um, but really, I'm, I suppose blackwork's a weird one for me because I very much think I'm known more for colour. And mm -hmm. but with black, you have to get down to that nitty gritty, don't you? Of that sort of, you know, that depth, and to try and pull out a bit of her personality. And that sounds weird, doesn't it? Because it's like a two D thing. But yeah, I wanted to draw out some sort of, you know, so she didn't look just like a embroidery. She looked like she had a soul. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing. It's like there are so many embroidery types and there are so many things that you can do to create depth and texture. But I think there's something about the repetition of the pattern and the the density of the stitches in black work that really offers it. Like it's such a great one for those kind of and often like optical illusion type things as well, because I guess basically that's what it is, isn't it? You're just creating an optical illusion. Yeah. But it's like when you see it done really effectively, it's just sublime. Yeah, yeah. I I think, well, uh, thanks, uh, if you're referring to my one. <laughs> um, I am, I am. <laughs> I mean, I started it actually ages ago, and then I sort of abandoned it for a while because life things got in the way and too much work, I was trying to do too much work because it's really, it was more of a personal piece. I sort of had two, two different sides to me. I had my personal work and then I had my commercial work where I try and, try and earn a living really and so she falls into my personal work and then I picked her up again because um, it was so near finished that I just thought I've just got to finish it and then it all sort of got wrapped up with the fact that my, my mother was you know she's moved into a dementia home and she wasn't given that long to live she's actually still alive and fine she's improved but at the time it was sort of and I and I just needed to be there and it was just really difficult to sit and do nothing and just watch just mm -hmm. you know so I set up my little studio sort of there and I stitched her there so I do feel very attached to her because I feel like a lot of emotion around the time has gone into the picture as well you know uh, you know I really focused I just sat for hours you know doing every little detail because I literally was sitting for hours with someone and you know I was feeling mm. that time I feel like it's imbued for me with that you know with that emotional side you know it will always be a marker of something that's happened in my life and and I quite like that with embroidery, you know, I think my personal work does reflect that in some way, even though it's super subtle and nobody would really know. Um, but I think that, you know, I just had the time to put that extra depth into it because I stopped a lot of other things to spend the time with my mum, really. So um, when people are under time pressure, you know, like if you're, um, they do, you know, black work at the RSN, um, you know, they have so many days to do it in. And so there's only so much you can maybe do. And maybe you do need a, a double amount of time to really give it that extra, extra depth. So sometimes that is a limitation that is on people, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there a proportion you would say between like, because it's nice you're able to do your own personal work. I think there's always a tension, isn't there, when you do something for a living about the amount you have to do to bring the dollars in and the amount you can do for yourself. How is that balance for you? 
Not brilliantly, I'd say. I would like to get a better balance, um, but I do get frustrated if I don't find time to do my own thing because, you know, fundamentally the kids are not me at my optimum. You know, they're, they're slightly simpler because, you know, I'm trying to sell them to a wider audience. So I really enjoy stitching them. I try and they're not, generally they're not that beginner-ish. Um, they're sort of intermediate to slightly advanced and, you know, I do, and they're quite cute often. They're quite sort of animal-based and they're quite, you know, mm-hmm. nice colors or whatever, but appealing. But um, the other, you know, the yin and yang is that, you know, I've got the other side where I want to do the personal work, which is maybe something me processing emotionally or something that's occurred or something I just want to do for the sheer hell of doing it. And I do struggle to find that time, but I feel going forward that is something I want to find more of. Because I think it's important as well yeah. to keep my skills up, otherwise I'll plateau. Um, and also just to find my voice. I feel like I'm still finding my my voice. You know, I know a lot of people you have on your um, needle exchange are exhibiting artists. I'm not. I'm not one of those. And I feel like. I'm nowhere near that, I feel. But, you know, I feel like, um, and I'm not sure I want to be because of the pressure associated with that, but I'd like to keep working, working, working towards, you know, improving and producing something that I'm quite proud of. So I think it's mm. important. Yeah, because that's the interesting thing, isn't it? You're you're technically excellent and you're able to teach lots of people, but in the same way as sort of the art versus design thing, you know, design is made for lots of people, but isn't necessarily a personal expression of your soul. I guess you're taking steps down that path, but you're not able to do it at the pace you'd like to. Yeah, yeah, I can't focus um, 100% on it. But I do think some of the sort of more fun things are part of my you know, personality and journey um, because, you know, because we are made up of so many elements, aren't we? Um, Mm. But, for example, I've done this sort of um, death figure and and that was after my father died. You know, I I sort of produced that as a sort of marker, you know, to sort of process Mm. all of that. And, you know, and and actually I think he's a rather handsome chap who was kind of inspired by the catacombs, you know, the Italian mummified pre i mean they're so freaky but um you know <laughs> i feel quite a, a warmth towards him but again it's like a little marker of something that happened in time for me but for anyone else they might just go why have you done that it's <laughs> so weird <laughs> but i think that's interesting isn't it because that's you know you're you're almost using it as a personal documentary a way of just identifying moments in time. And and the question is, is, yeah, do you choose to flip that and make it a public documentary? Because I'm sure there are loads of people who do this and they don't ever think, I'm going to exhibit this work. Yeah, I think, um, you know, sometimes they can feel so random when seen individually. You know, it's, it is a random piece. But, you know, over a course of, you know, many pieces, you could see threads, excuse the pun, <laughs> threads going through. <laughs> and I think that, you know, that with a lot of things, you know, um, it's, you know, it is a language, isn't it? I, I really love language. Mm. Anyway, I quite like the writing side of things as well. And, you know, and visually, this is a language. It's my language. You know, it's how I'm choosing to express myself. It hasn't got a, you know, so many people 
fall upon a style and stick with it, don't they? Uh, I don't really do that. I, I would find that a wee bit boring. Um, and I don't really need to because I can do lots of different styles. So I quite like, I've sort of ditched the ones I'm not so keen on, you know, <laughs> kind of gone, ah, okay, I'll leave that. But <laughs> and I quite like combining you know, the styles as well, sort of uh, a mashup, as I'd say. But um, because it, that makes it fun, that makes it fun and stimulating and exciting to stitch. And if you get bored with one little section, you can go, you know what, I'm going to do that over there now. And, and that's nice. You know, so I do quite like mixing it up quite a lot. But yeah, it is, it is I think everyone does have language. We might not see it all the time, but that, you know, within people's choices, that things come through. You know, a friend of mine, she always stitches hairs because she loves hairs. You know, people have repeat motives that they go to mm. all the time, you know, and then you have to say, why do you, why do you stitch hairs, you know, uh, and sort of ask that question. To that point, I've got a question for you then. Why, why do you stitch dead birds? The cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, is that I, what it is? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know uh, people do say, do you seem to have a lot of dead stuff in? <laughs> <laughs> and I do I do have a lot of dead around me a lot of the time so you know we I do have quite a wild um cat he's uh he's part bengal who's out in the forest I, I feel like I'm a guardian angel of mice in fact I look probably look a bit knackered tonight because we had a live mouse on the bed last night but and then okay. I go on <laughs> And save it and I realized there was half an eaten mouse you know so <laughs> I'm there all the time but I've had him for nearly 10 years and when he was younger there was like three sometimes four mice a day you know three during the night it was a nightmare so I've saved loads of them thousands of mice but um, you know fortunately the birds don't get caught quite so much but some do, and, and they are so beautiful, alive or dead, I think the creatures are beautiful, and therefore I often photograph them. You know, I give the mice a little CPR if they just sort of, you know, <laughs> just see <laughs> Tiny little rub. Yeah, do my little thumb. <laughs> so I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's that. It's like, it's I don't want to waste this beautiful creature, and, um, you know, you don't get up close to animals like, I don't know, blackbirds or robins or something. Like that. And therefore, you know, to be able to photograph it is actually quite a privilege. So then I don't want to waste that. So I try and turn it into something. Plus, I also really love, you know, the canvas um, stitching mm. that I use for that. For me, it's like oil painting. So I feel like canvas is like oil painting. You know, you can get the same sort of depth of texture and you know, it has that resonance to it and it can be really beautiful. So I think it sort of ends up looking like an old master. I might be slightly inflating it there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you're right. I, I absolutely love them. I think so, so there's a couple of things here. One is I, like, I'm a cat lover and we've had cats in the past and I can remember in the past, like waking up in the morning and finding, because we lived in the countryside, finding bits of rabbit on the landing just like an ear or something and knowing that there might have been a baby rabbit at one point you know they're yeah. such killing machines and there was wasn't there some stat that like cats kill like six billion birds a year or something ridiculous you know yeah. worldwide but at the same time like one of the things that i always 
love in this context is you have these very traditional forms of needlework and you in particular deliver them with excellence but there's always the risk of you know cruel work being jacobean canvas work having this certain approach or whatever so then when you're choosing to make like immortalize dead birds it's such a modern school of thought that yeah. i absolutely love it because then it's being applied to this traditional thing and then it completely dismantles the way people feel about that canvas work in the first place yeah i feel like canvas is it's had it's been around for so long you know from way way back and you know it's had such a journey um you know to now there's a lot of pop art type canvases around but you know it's also falling into a bit of a trap i feel sometimes of going into a bit of you know photorealism can you see a lot of you know of that style and for me that doesn't work particularly well i don't think canvas unless you're doing it like maybe the dead bird type thing but you know the when you do lots of different stitches there's that potential to be so exciting and to be like i think it's like pointillism or expressionism mm -hmm. or even impressionism, you know those kind of things it's like the van gogh you know um you don't have to oh you know like hockney he you know he paints he, he paints a tree uh, blue you know he doesn't a tree doesn't have be green the sky does not have to be blue you know when you look at van gogh's work there's so much color in the sky there's beautiful peppermint colors and then they're reflected in the cornfield or whatever you know tints of it here and there or in the man's jacket and you know there's sort of it kind of flows there's a balance to it and i often when i often see canvas works as that sort of photorealism you know the grass is green and the sky is blue and it's sort of you know, where's the merging of the colour? I feel in a way, it is like pointillism, where it's like, you know, little spots of colours. It's like alchemy, isn't it? You know, where you, you put mm. several spots into a needle and you pull it through. And, you know, who knows which one will land first? And yes, you can manipulate it, but actually it's quite nice not to and to let the magic happen, to let it fall in its own way and then see how that, you know, turns out. And then you can get so much texture because there are hundreds of stitches that, um, you know, I feel like we should loosen it up a bit. It shouldn't be so tight. And it could be a little bit mm. more free and like expressionism, really. Even if it's just like every now and again, like a palette cleansing sorbet, you know, even if people just mix things up a little bit, get out yeah. of their comfort zone, even so that they just appreciate being back in their comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just see it as, you know, I think... Um, impressionism is when you like it's like a glance isn't it you know so you might have mm. seen a couple on the edge of a you know cliff or something and you glanced it and then you go go away from it and you try and you draw it and that's kind of impressionism so it's never going to be accurate it's just an impression of what you've seen you know and i quite like that as an idea for canvas work um where it's not sort of quite so um fixed lines and hard edges and you can achieve that mm. because of different textured stitches you could use so um mm. yeah i would do some more canvas work really myself let's talk about your background then because i know that you were a future tutor it? yeah does that work are you a future tutor or have you been a present tutor were you a future tutor but now that was in the past so now you're a tutor 
I am. I graduated. <laughs> so okay. yeah, I did. I trained with the Royal School of Needlework on their future tutor course. I started on CND, which is their certificate and diploma, and then I went on and did their future tutor. Um, and, now, and now I'm a tutor, and I, and I work with them still, but I do um, a lot of things with other organisations as well, and also just for myself. So they're sort of one of my clients. What brought you to them in the first place? What's your sort of, I mean, were you always a stitcher? Was it something you came to at a certain point in time? No, yeah, I've, I've always been a stitcher. I started really young. Most people say that their mothers, you know, influenced them in a positive way to stitch. I can't really say that so much. My mum was not a finisher. Okay. So she uh, she abandoned work by the side of the chair in a plastic bag in order to nurse a cat or something. And it never got finished. And so I finished all her projects for her. And that's really how I got into it. So, so I just finished her cast-offs. But I was stitching kits from probably about six. I was really young. And I stitched every day because I didn't really like watching telly. I've always been... I've always been, I like making, so I've always wanted to make. And I used to come in from school and I used to do my homework straight away. And at six o'clock, there was the movie on BBC Two, wasn't there? Black and white movie or Tarzan or Charlie Chan or mm -hmm. you know, all those movies were on at six. Mm -hmm. And they were about, yeah. I don't know, 30, which is when my dad came home for tea. And I would then, that was also my craft time and I would stitch sitting on the sofa, I'd have a canvas on my lap, and I would, you know, stitch up masterpieces, Renoirs, Monets, you know, Fragonard, <laughs> nothing really. So that's how I sort of got into it, and I continued that throughout my schooling um, until I was really a young, young adult, and then I sort of, you know, started going out more, and um, I didn't go to university when I finished school, when I, you know, I was going out and I started losing the interest a little bit in the stitching and doing lots of other art instead. So I was doing, you know, stone carving courses, um, ceramic, um, stained glass, etching. I mean, Brighton's great like that because I moved to Brighton in my 20s. And, you know, there were so many opportunities to do so many different arts, you know, um, I did, I, I mean, I was dreadful at it, but I did like ceramic, um, well, it was sculpture, ceramic sculpture. Um, <laughs> so we did that. I, mean, I was going to, basically, I remember there was one, we had this sort of, we had a life drawing. So we had the Armitage and we had to make, and there was this guy who came in and all his, is it called a Prince Albert? Anyway, he was all pierced up. Oh, <laughs> <place>. okay, <laughs> right. And I was trying my best to get the figure and to get the shape and everything and focusing. And the tutor did come around and she sort of said, I think you spent too much attention on, on his nether regions as it's completely out of proportion to the rest of him. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was just so much art there and that you could get involved in that I did. So, um, so I ended up getting a proper, you know, proper job type thing. And, um, and doing a lot of art but but actually in my 20s I did a lot of traveling so that sort of mm. kicked in so I didn't go to uni I went to Australia for a year instead that was my university nice. then and um traveled and you know worked on a dive boat and just did 
anything really. Um, hitchhiked, all the things you shouldn't. It was the year of the backpacker murderers. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> rang her, oh, I'm just looking, Mum. You know, good. Um, yeah, and then I came back and I sort of got little jobs and then I went off travelling again, you know. So I did, I did do quite a bit of that in my 20s. And then I went to university when I was 28. Um, so I went to Sussex and then I ended up in Brighton. So then I, um, and then I ended up settling there. So, um, but part of the reason I went to university was because I was very dyslexic when I was younger. So, um, right. you know, I really wanted to sort of conquer it, conquer it really, you know, in some ways it held back my confidence. Um, and I think that's probably why I was so interested in making and art because I could do that, you know, with some degree mm. of ease and get a real sense of fulfillment from it. Whereas academic work at that point was not fulfilling. So it was, um, yeah, so th and that really sort of, and that worked so well for me. It was hard, it was quite a challenge, and I got a lot of support, um, but it also just ignited my enjoyment of writing, really. And, you know, it was quite a shame that I hadn't sort of, you know, hadn't been sort of encouraged when I was younger. Um, at, you know, mm -hmm. traditional didn't suit me at all. Um, but actually, you know, even, even the writing, you know, I enjoy that creativity of, I mean, I'm just a fantasist, basically. I like going off on a, <laughs> I was thinking that this morning, actually, I was thinking, cause I really, I really like Renaissance landscapes and I was thinking that this morning and I'm like, I think I'm a bit of a Renaissance fantasist. <laughs> so, cause I sort of hit my... <laughs> So I've hit my renaissance period of my life and I'm sort of a bit of a fantasy, like a bit of fantasy sort of sparkle in it as well. I mean, your brand does involve the word cloud, which always makes it sound a bit fantastical as well, to be honest. But yeah, I, I struggled with a little bit with a name because um, Juno is my middle name and therefore I wanted right. to use it. I always used it as my art name when I was younger because I was like, basically I could hide behind it if if no one... Didn't, if they didn't like it, they wouldn't know it's me because most people don't know your middle name. So it was all mm. fine. And then, um, you know, lots of people remember it really easily. And Juno embroidery was gone um, to a Japanese lady. And and I don't really like it when you just get your name and then embroidery, you know, um, mm. Karen Smith. It's a bit sort of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah, so it's supposed to be all my thoughts and ideas and... You know, and I suppose it was inspired by Apple Mac as well with their cloud idea, you know, and it just sort of sat together. And I thought, well, actually, that, that does work quite well. So it works for me. <laughs> so that's where it comes from. It sounds from. very mystical. I like it. Because I think what's <laughs> nice is, again, it's, it's, it's pulling you up. It's like this heavenly thing. You know, it's kind of like the work that you do may seem very grounded, the techniques that you provide and all of that. But you're operating on it from a cloud. So yeah. Entirely different perspective. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And also, I mean, lots of thoughts does go into it. I mean, one of my favourite parts of a project is like the, you know, when you finish, I don't know if you get this, but if you're sort of finishing a project, about three quarters of the way through and you're bored of it because you're really getting towards the end and you've thought about it a lot and, and your mind goes off. Well, my mind goes off to the next thing. And you really can't wait to finish we want to start the next one. And it's that period of planning or not even planning, just sort of daydreaming that I, that I really mm. like. 
a daydream and I live a lot in here and um you know it's quite stimulating so I like that period and then I like the sort of choices the deciding part but I don't really plan I, I mean I'm dyslexic who plans when they're dyslexic they just go with the flow mm-hmm. really and so I am pretty organic and I will change my mind along the way and let things grow and see how they interact together and if I don't like it I'll just take it out and do something else or start again yeah so I'm, I'm not really a planner <laughs> I'm always fascinated by that bit because you're not the only person who said this and I've had it myself where there must be something at the back of your mind that knows that you're past the point of a project like everything's going to be okay now you know you you're somewhere unconsciously you know that because that's when the new idea starts to creep in around the corner doesn't it and it's like there, there must be something there you know it yeah it's like freewheeling down the hill isn't it you've done all the uphill bit and now we're in the free wheel. <laughs> Just the wind yeah, through my hair. Yeah. <laughs> New idea can and, come and hit me in the face. And are you quite are you quite open to just letting the new ideas come in? From what you've said, you know, you don't plan it or whatever. If if it's a completely left field idea to the one you're currently having, are you at ease with that? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I like that really. You know, I kind of um you know, I don't have to have any rhyme or reason to my ideas at all. <laughs> I mean, I like decorative arts for the pure, pure fact that they are useless. I love that. You know, I don't <laughs> want to do things. I like useless things. I always did as a kid, you know. My mum would buy me a watch or something. I was like, no, please just give me something useless. You know, so that's a, you know, great joy. It's a decorative piece. That is its use. Its use is to be beautiful in the world and to be, you know, have impact. I like impactful work. If it's a bit, well, a bit vanilla, then I'm not so keen. You know, even my stuff, it'll just go in a drawer. I'll be like, yeah, that's not, that's not pushing my boat really or floating my boat. If there are any chocolate teapot manufacturers out there, let Chrissy know because she definitely wants one of those. <laughs> Exactly. I think that's why my work, I suppose it is a bit eclectic. You know, I'm hoping as I grow a body of work, it might have some sort of cohesion. But um, that takes you in lots of different directions. So you can't really plan, can you, where your work's going to go? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. Make you go, oh, I need to do that. So I don't know that. So when you get a new idea, is it sort of a concept and then somewhere down the line, the technique that you might use reveals itself? Because I guess what's great about you is you've got an arsenal so you can, you know, use certain types of stitches to achieve certain outcomes quite easily. When I did Ayana, the African girl's face, then I just, I didn't want to do black work again. I don't want to do another black work piece, you know, so I went straight on to do, you know, I've been wanting to do um, actually a birthday box, which a friend of mine said, you can't call it a birthday box. It sounds rude. But anyway, it's a birthday box that I've done for myself. <laughs> so you know and that's all gold work and stump work and bright colors and you know all the things I like it's like a sweetie tray of things that I like so that is the antithesis of the black work really so I wanted to do that so I guess um that is quite nice I have got that you know I won't necessarily do another gold work straight away I might go on to something more wool based or textured so I can mix it up quite a lot I do get bored easily, so I don't want to just do the same thing all the time. Um, mm. Mm. But uh, again, you know, a piece might suggest itself and lend itself to something 
and then I sort of go with the flow with that. Oh, I think often I do go, I like to do a canvas now. Okay, what am I going to do? You know, I think I do do that. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange, that's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange, with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash needle exchange. See you next time.